Welcome to the Earth's Edge podcast. I'm your host, James McManus. At Earth's Edge, we run guided expeditions with a focus on environmental and cultural sustainability. We created this podcast to share stories from people who have found the outdoors and fallen in love with adventure. Each month, we're giving away one of our summit jackets worth 150 euro. To be in the running, all you need to do is subscribe to our mailing list at earths-edge.com forward slash podcast. There's a link in the show notes. Now for today's guest. For me, packing my, my kit bag is really important this year. Sharing a room with someone. So if every evening your bag vomits gear all over the room in an organized manner, it's irritating for you, but it's extremely irritating for the person that you're sharing with. You're hearing from Louise Lawrence, who has led more than 25 expeditions for Earth's Edge. Louise shares amazing stories from over 50 years of going on epic adventures. She also gives her top tips for anyone considering their first big adventure and explains why expeditions are all about the journey rather than reaching a summit. We start out discussing her early years and going on her first adventure when she was just six months old. So let's dive in there. Lou, you were someone who was immersed in adventure from a very early age. Tell me about your childhood. Both my parents were outdoorsy. My dad was a bit of an explorer. My mom was a kayaker. Uh, recently, I discovered that mum was actually brought home the first trophy from an international event for Ireland. So that's pretty impressive. And dad was one of the founding members of the Liffey Descent. So really, I had no option. I think I went away on my first expedition trip when I was six months old. Wow. And it just went from there. So it was it was fun for a little while, for sure. And then in my teens, I rebelled. Every holiday was in Ireland, which was amazing. But we would head up to Donegal with scuba equipment, hill walking kit. And it was just two or three weeks of adventure. Sometimes it was we towed the rib up as well. So, yeah, every day, if we were lucky, we stayed in the house. If we were lucky, we camped. So amazing. it was just... <laughs> Every year was like that. And it, it was amazing. And then, as I said, I rebelled for my teenage years and was infatuated with ponies. Oh. So I'm very lucky in that we won a pony in a raffle. Wow. We kept it. So, hey, the <laughs> listeners might know, like, your dad, he's one of the founding members of the Liffey Descent, which is a big uh, kayak race on the Liffey, um, which flows through Dublin. It's one of the most famous kayak races in the world. That's mad. Come here, we can talk about the pony because I know you're still into horses and ponies and stuff. Um, but you're six months old, your first expedition, where was that to, to Donegal as well? Yeah, that was to Spain. Wow. Yeah. So they were they were racing. So I can't remember it, obviously, but apparently off we went, camped for a week or so while they were competing. And then I think they went on a little trip somewhere down the river with their boats and left and you behind no I think I might have come along actually. yeah just sitting in the kayak go on Lou. yeah every year they were away racing and I, I remember when I was about six I started to remember the trips where we were kayaking down in open open boats and camping along the way going on journeys so yeah it was, it was, it was very exciting we've never heard about it <laughs> yeah <laughs> and your dad has done a lot of expedition kayaking as well yes when I was less than one, he went off on an expedition to the Grand Canyon. They were the first Europeans to paddle down the Grand Canyon. Wow. So it was, I was talking to mom recently about it and communication was a little bit more difficult than it is now. And they sat down and had a conversation and he said, you won't hear from me for three months or however many months it was if I don't come back. Don't come looking for me. Leave me there. So that was it. A woman of 24 and her six-month-old or a year-old baby. And away he went. Yeah. So some people might think it's selfish. Some people like, might think it's brilliant. But they did it. And he had an amazing time. Yeah, amazing. I can just imagine them like... Do you have a film of that as well, don't you? I do. It's actually on YouTube. Is it? Yeah, cool. So yeah. these guys in, in fiberglass boats going down the Grand Canyon, like proper expedition. Yeah, it's pretty. It's pretty amazing, actually. The what they were doing. I mean, half of them couldn't even roll their kayaks back up again. I know. 
And they're like four meter boats as well. They just yeah, swim. they were um, swimming those big, those big rapids when it went wrong. Amazing. And repairing their boats in the evening. And yeah, it was, it was pretty full on. Yeah, when you swim, you're pretty much your trip's over because your kayak's going to smash up on rocks. Like <laughs> the sport, like, like mountaineering and climbing and um, kayaking has changed a lot over the years. Like in Lewis, what year was that, Lou, when he was away? Uh, 1971 I think it was yeah so at that time everyone was using fiberglass boats which are really light but really weak now we use a, a composite plastic of polypropylene and some other type of plastic but they can you can basically drop them off the building and they're fine you know so <laughs> that's mad and they're just going out there with the wetsuits and like crappy like uh, dry tops and stuff like that that don't really work and yeah, yeah. mission yeah and, and they had one lady paddling as well so I think she was the first woman to paddle down there in expeditions off. So it was pretty exciting. And then you got a then you got a pony. Then I got a pony. We were still sent we still went away on our holidays, our hill walking holidays. But uh, I just have this very vivid memory of my sister and myself. So she's a little bit younger than I am, but we're camping somewhere down in Mayo. And uh, as teenagers do, they want to lie in bed for a little bit longer. Yeah. And my dad was getting very frustrated because we were meant to be walking up a mountain and it was probably about nine o'clock. And I'll just always remember he was just stomping up and down between the two tents and he went, for goodness sake, we've lost an hour. We're only here for seven days. If we lose an hour for every day, that's a full day's fun we've missed. And all oh. these stuff. <laughs> yeah. So he was certainly into packing his days full of adventure. <laughs> That's where you get your timekeeping from, you know? Could be, actually. Could be. So, come here. You then, you went on to do sports science in Liverpool, yeah? Yeah, sports science. I'm a sports scientist myself, Louise, you know? Are you? I am, yep. But uh, how was that anyway? Did you enjoy that? Yeah, it was brilliant. Between school and university, I did a a post-leaving cert course in outdoor education in Clara Road. So that was bit of a buffer from my nice little secured boarding school to being sent out into the world yeah essential I would say yeah essential yeah (laughs) and then headed off to Liverpool and had the time of my life yeah spent the first week thinking oh I'm not sure if this is a bit of a dump or not and then the rest of the time thinking how can I ever leave it was fabulous yeah fabulous yeah more I think more kayaking and walking and sailing than studying but it was it was great, Carl. Yeah, you kind of grew up a little bit. You're, you do, so you joined all the like mountaineering kayak club in, the, in yeah. college. Yeah, brilliant. So we're going to get on and talk about your work for Earth's Edge um, a little later on in the podcast. Tell me about some of the missions you did like after you finished college. Like, where did you go? Like, talk me through your adventure CV, Leo. Yeah, I was actually going to join the Royal Navy when I left school. You were not. My mum's from Belfast, so I wasn't quite sure. So I uh, spent a year going through interviews and being sent over to the UK to visit naval bases and they were kind of coaching you a little bit. And then one day I had the realisation that, yeah, I'd have to go to war a bit late. (laughs) And oh no, I don't do that. (laughs) I decided I wasn't going to do that. so then I came oh, home fabulous. and I actually worked for my uncle who owned the Great Outdoors at the time. Yeah. So I worked for him for a year or two and then headed into my adventure career as such, which was always lying dormant anyway. And um, yeah, worked for Tiglin, the National Adventure Centre in Wicklow. So they had this um, really cool training instructor instructor program where you would go and work for them for two years and you you were, you were trained. So I went for the interview and my best friend got it. So I was a little bit oh. delighted for her and devastated for me. I can imagine. But um, yeah, a couple of months later, the girl who worked in the office went on maternity leave. So I rang them and said, could I have that job? And they were like, well, have you got any experience in an office? I was like, no. And she said, can you type? And I said, no. But if I, if I learn how to type between now and then, will you take me? So she said, yeah. So I kind of got in the back door there and I worked for them and got all my qualifications and got to hang out with my best mate and all the amazing instructors and guides that were working there at the time. So it was a great foundation yeah. on top of my family, Clara Road, and then from Tiglin. And it's it's just gone from there, really. 
freelancing. I went back and worked for Tiglin again. And um, my whole career has been working in the outdoors. Yeah, amazing. Teaching adults, teaching kids, and basically really loving it, to be honest. Yeah. So it's been fantastic. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the listeners are going to love hearing that. Like you're you're living the living the dream now we're gonna get on and talk about some of the trips you've done for me so it won't feel like a dream at times but um yeah it's great to be <laughs> now you're like that was not a dream that was a nightmare um, <laughs> but no it's it's great yeah. to be able to do what you love you know yeah well i mean expeditions have always been there my uncle was involved in the first irish everest expedition where they succeeded in getting to the top he was the base camp manager so he lived in base camp for three months Wow! and looked after them and fed them, sang songs with his guitar when they came down off the mountain. Actually, at one of the reunions there, their 20-year reunion, they were talking about people on the expedition and what they brought to the expedition. And it was really nice to hear because they were just saying how wonderful it was to have Leslie at base camp. They'd come down over a hard couple of days on the mountain. And he would have whiskey for them and he'd have the guitar out, singing them songs, hot water bottle in their sleeping bags. And um, they were very, very grateful. So it was good to hear. So yeah. that's Leslie's your uncle that, that founded the Great Outdoors, yeah? Yes, yes. Oh, wow, yes. cool. I didn't know he was on that expedition as well. That's mental. They went up from the Chinese side, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, some of the, I mean, the stories and the pictures, it's a different, different ball game. Yeah, I mean, they were on their own on that mountain, on their own. Wow. They didn't have support or support or Sherpa support at all? No, no. Jeez, the they had it all bringing all their their kit in, but the climbers climbed to the top on their own. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, it's an amazing picture of Dawson heading off because Frank, uh, his oxygen ran out. So the two of them were attempting to go to the summit. And basically... Frank stood there. He had to come down on his own. Mm. And then Dawson, he has this amazing picture of him just walking off to the summit on his own. Okay, so Frank took a picture of him before he... Yeah. Yeah, this is Dawson Selfox we're talking about here. He's the first yeah. Irishman to summit Everest. Yeah, that's yeah. mad. And come here, so tell me about some of your, your big personal expeditions. You went all over the place. Yeah, you were in South America and Nepal. Talk about some of those trips. So I had a great trip in Nepal. Um, there's a lovely, when I was working in Tiglin, there was a lovely girl called Pernia. Well, she is called Pernia. Mm-hmm. Um, and she came back to Ireland with the instructors and she lived in Ireland and uh, they eventually got married. But she obviously came from the, the mountains of the Himalayas to bustling Ireland. So we were, she's a great girl. We we got on really well. We, we looked after her, etc. And she was always saying, you know, my mum would love to meet you. She's so grateful that you're looking after me on the other side of the world. Mm. So one day we decided we'd go and meet her mum. So um, myself, Mary, who Gunning, who's also a guide with our sedge, and her partner, John, um, we all headed off to the the Himalayas. No way. And then we met another friend, Clive, out there as well, and Pernia. And um, we trekked for 23 days, and then we trekked into her village. So it took us three days to get into the village and we stayed there for three days. And then it took us three days to get out. But it was an amazing experience. I've always been searching for that proper non-tourism right out there, living with the locals. And it was, that was it. But it was almost too much because it was very, very basic. And we were (laughs) young and naive and not all that prepared. So we had to stay in some interesting places and eat some interesting food. But it was, um, I mean... Seeing how they live out there is is phenomenal. Subsistence farming all the way. All we had was a little bag of, of flour. Where whereabouts in Nepal did she was she from? Oh, I knew you were going to ask me that. <laughs> uh, I remember. I know we walked Gusaka and Langtang, and then wow. went to her. So it wasn't too far that region there. And I'd say the welcome you guys got when you arrived was insane. Was it? Oh, there was a festival. Yeah, it was brilliant. Yeah, so cool. Um, and again, we didn't have any communication, no sat phones, no nothing. That was just us off. And then I fell off, fell off the trail. You know the golden rule that you don't go on the outside of oncoming mules? Yeah. Ah, yeah. Louise. Well, they were lined up, tied up on the inside. 
and we had to walk past them, but one of them got free. And um, I just remember hanging on to his, his load on the side of his back with my legs dangling over the, the edge going, I'm going, I'm going. <laughs> and then gone. But I didn't roll too far. Luckily, there was a tree in the way, so yeah. I got that one. And then was able to scramble back up again. But that was an amazing trip. And then, yeah, loads of little trips around the world. But for me, my great passion is the snow. So I spent 15 full winters in the Alps. Wow. So from the wow. 30 to 45, I would pack up in November, pack up my car, travel across to the Alps and stay in Briançon for the winter and then head back in, in April. Like a square. Yeah, that's fantastic. On partying Living. and, and skiing all winter. Yeah. I suppose sitting in a hole eating nuts or whatever they do. Like, Sometimes yeah. working will not. And are you, you're not, you're, are you going to, you're obviously this year has been tough, like with the, with the pandemic. So what age were you in? When did your dad pass away, Lou? I was 39, yeah. So he passed away very suddenly. He was living in France with my mum and it was all very quick. So it's always a bit of a shock. Mm. Always. But your dad, like he was a pretty big character. Like did it have a big impact his passing on you? Like did it leave a big, big hole in your life as they say? Yeah, well, it's, it's always a tricky one, isn't it? Losing mm. a parent when you don't think you're, you're going to when, you, when you're relatively young. Mm. But yeah, life life goes on for sure it is that he would love the fact that um i'm working for Outside edge and going on all those expeditions in fact he probably would have tried to come out on one mm. um but yeah it's i think it's harder for my sister i don't have children she has three little girls and he would have adored them mm. they'd meet it up because when we were children he was always making up scavenger hunts bringing his places he would have just had so much fun for them so for her it's it's very very difficult at times yeah i can imagine let's take a break there for some quick fire questions what was your first job oh cutting keys when i was 14 in the summer for boarding school getting all their lockers ready what song is always on your workout playlist I don't listen to music when I'm exercising. Is that me bad? No, that's fine. It's totally cool. What are you reading right now? The Better Angels of Our Nature. It's quite educational, a bit unusual for me, but actually very interesting. Great. If you were stranded on a mountain with one celebrity, who would it be? <sighs> Emma Thompson. What is your favourite food to eat in a mountain? I like sandwiches. <laughs> I just like all food. That's the problem. <laughs> What's your favourite piece of kit? My rucksack. What's your biggest pet peeve when travelling? Lateness. If money wasn't a factor, what would you do all day? I'd just be outside, skiing, being in the mountains, swimming, never inside. Generally running amok like? Yeah. Describe yourself in three words. Uh, shy, <laughs> friendly <laughs> and kind. Very good. Why did you laugh when I said shy? I would not describe you as shy. That's just, I just thought that was an interesting one, you know, but, you know, if you're deluded, Louise. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Lou, do you remember when we first met? Oh, I do, James. Yeah. Do you? I do remember, yeah, but you tell me about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, we spoke on the phone. You rang me, asked me would I be interested in the expeditions. And I think it was, uh, I was in the, having a very busy time and I was like yeah, yeah yeah yeah, that sounds brilliant and then about six months later I went hold on a second <laughs> why have I not called this man back so um I called you back and we met in the cafe in Donnybrook that's right for uh, an informal chat mm. yeah you you were recommended by one of my uh, two of my friends uh kayak and buddies Kipper and Kyo, they're like get on to Lou like she'll be she'll be good for that so yeah we had a bit of a chit chat and then yeah. You've went went on to, to lead like over twenty five trips for Earth's Edge. It's mental. Yeah, it was it was a it was a great start. It was. <laughs> yeah, I think all went downhill from there. No, I'm just kidding. It did, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think Kilimanjaro was my first trip, which was amazing. I remember thinking afterwards, going, "God, I don't want to go to Kilimanjaro Everest Base Camp. Everyone goes to Kilimanjaro and Everest Base Camp." Mm. I was a little bit of a knob. Um, an adventurous now, but I certainly, as soon as I went, it knocked the corners off me straight away. <laughs> they're amazing trips. Yeah, amazing. amazing trips, yeah. And the people that sign up for them are amazing. 
as well. Because I was a little bit of snob in that point of view, going, why don't you just do it yourself? I mean, it's all about the planning, six months planning, a year planning and packing everything up and away you go. Yeah. But um, that- no, great respect for people who are sitting at home going, I would like to do that and putting themselves out there and and doing it and never maybe having camped before, never slept on a mountain before certainly not ever slept in a tent for seven days in a row or six days in a row before absolutely and, uh, they just put themselves out there and some at night never ceases to amaze me how they get up 11 12 1 o'clock in the morning put their heads down and just keep i would have gone a long time ago if that was my first yeah. time to do something like that. they're fantastic fantastic so yeah it was a great honor to see how people can do that it's brilliant um, what is it that's so special about climbing a big mountain like that for you, Lou? Like, what how, what is that feeling you get from it? Here's the thing, right? I am not a huge summit bagger, summit fan. Okay. I like it, but it doesn't it doesn't spark me. What sparks me is the journey to it. I know that sounds really strange, but I just love journeys, living remotely, living on mountains. That's where I get my buzz. Standing on the top is just a little bit of a, an added bonus. Cherry on top. So it's, yeah, it's um, it's funny. But I can see it like it's definitely, it's a joy to be up there. It's brilliant. Yeah. But you can see in other people. And there have been a few tears now and again, for sure, when you get there, because it's taken so much effort and it is an amazing place to be, to be looking around. But my buzz would be the whole thing. Yeah, Absolutely. Just, living so I, I don't get if i get to the top or not yeah brilliant if you do but it's i wouldn't be incredibly heartbroken if i don't yeah the journey so it's hard to explain that big elation i i was gonna say like i actually say say that to people all the time like don't worry like at the start of a trip or if i'm doing a training weekend with people in advance like don't think about the summit too much because it'll look after itself and also like you're going to, if you're, you know, you're only on the summit for an hour, whereas if you're on the first six days of Kitty and you're, all you're thinking about is the summit, you're not enjoying each day for what it is. So yeah, I totally agree there. It is the journey. It's so spiritual, Louise. It's the journey, you know? It's the journey. Yeah, it is the journey. <laughs> <laughs> so come here, I want to ask you, you get emotional on top of a mountain. Like what goes through your mind? Tell us. On a trip like that, it's, actually the fact it's it's watching it's watching other people who've got there yeah. cry and I'm like oh my gosh and then I started you might get the odd tear the first time I did it with a group I remember getting to Stella Point which is the the rim oh so it's some people think it's the top but it's not you've got another 45 yeah. minutes that's actually I'm going to cut in there when guys when you're going doing Kilimanjaro Stella Point is the first time you get on the crater rim and it has a sign that's pretty much like identical to the summit sign on Kili yeah it can be devastating if you're not expecting it because you think you're at the top and you still have another hour to go really Lou isn't it from there yeah it's 45 minutes to an hour I've had a few people throw their toys at the pram when I'm like are you ready to go now they're like what (laughs) (laughs) not the top um but the first time I got up to Stella Point I was traveling with a, a great doctor and we uh we got up there and suddenly I thought I'm actually gonna cry and I'm not a big cry person at all and I was like what is, what is what's going on I don't understand so I had to walk away from the group and then the doctor was standing beside me and I looked at her and she looked at me and we had these big watery eyes and I was going what's going on what's going on but I think it's it's altitude and it's the release and it's the relief and then um and then I was okay on the top but then you see people crying on the top and because you're quite vulnerable up there then that makes you want to cry but uh, you know you hold in in the tears a little bit but yeah. I think it, it's just it's so much effort to get there it's just a release and it's very beautiful and you're there with a lot of lovely people yeah and the the local team are out of this world love them to bits so it's it's just a whole big kind of lovely emotional thank you yeah i know i know the trip means a lot to you because you're you were planning to mark your 50th birthday last year it was your 10th trip on kilimanjaro that's right amazing it didn't happen. <laughs> here's to 10 more lou <laughs> yeah here's to 10 more james exactly yeah exactly yeah, no, it's, 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 yeah. yeah no it's great <laughs> but i mean like 
you were mentioning the local staff are our, our, our team in Killy who are amazing, but just the other thing is like the people we meet, like the people you take up, like they all have amazing stories and amazing reasons for being on the mountain. It's like yeah. oh, incredible, yeah, no, really incredible, and very different reasons, very different journeys. Some of them are quite deep. Some of them are just like oh, I was sitting watching watching something on TV and went, I want to get to the top of that mountain. So it's yeah. it's all it's all different in fact my first trip when you're a little bit apprehensive you don't know what quite what's going to happen one of the participants came up to me and she said you know the way I was to bring anything that was important and essential that I couldn't do without in my hand luggage yeah yeah she goes um where should I put my husband's ashes (laughs) she's like yeah I you know before he died I I was going to bring his ashes to to different places etc and so I was thinking, oh, what I mean, what happens if they take them at customs? So, and then there's all sorts of rules and regulations about bringing bodies from one country to the next and ashes, etc. So I, I cornered one of the security guards and said, I've got a very, very strange question. And he said, no, it's fine. It's organic matter. So we snuck it in, got there. And then when she got to the top, she had, it was a little tiny container. And she went off and, and spread his ashes so much. So everyone has different reasons. Yeah. So people. So she was putting bits of her husband in different places all over all over the world. That's great, yeah. isn't it? Isn't it? Like all the places that. they dreamed of or got to, etc. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone has a little story. That's Brilliant. cool. I've never heard that before. That like you know, obviously for people of getting their ashes scattered in a place very important to them, but like to be you know scattered in places that you want to go, like yeah. I'd be like, can you scatter a little bit of me like halfway up El Capitan? That'd be great. Like, <laughs> <laughs> oh God, Louise. Yes. Talk to me about some of your other trips. Uh, can you try adventure, which I'm very passionate about? Um, fabulous, fabulous trip. For that's a real journey. That's a real adventure. Uh, you know, camping in a, a wildlife park and. Having animals walking through the campsite in the middle of the night, it just blows my mind. Love it. Absolutely love it. You're the third person in like six, six, seven episodes who's been talking about Can You Try Adventure, actually. It's hilarious. Oh, yeah. I really want to do it again. Yeah. Love it. <laughs> then, obviously, I was lucky enough to go to Morocco, Mount Climb and Tupkil, uh, Peru. That's always a great trip. Really enjoy it. Haven't done the new longer version yet, so I'm quite excited about that. That's amazing. The new yeah. the Chucky Corral track is absolutely yeah. phenomenal, but I'm going to love that one. It's nice and tough. It's tough. It's as hard as Killy. It's great. Love it. Um, love Africa. Love Nepal, though. I would actually fly to Kathmandu for the weekend. Love Kathmandu. Hanging out there is fabulous. The Annapurna Trail, the Everest Base Camp, so I've been lucky enough to do those. Um, and then some bespoke trips, Grand Canyon, yeah, Yosemite. Yeah, you did a few trips in the states for us. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, they were they were fabulous. And uh, you were on that big. Uh, we did a school trip where you spent a month in East Africa, where we had like took oh, kids and yeah. up Kilimanjaro and cycled yeah. through the Masai in Kenya, and then you went on to a community project in Uganda. You were so, you were away for a month. So that was a mission. It was a mission, and amazing kids absolutely amazing i had the the fifth years the 16 17 year olds and as you said they climbed killy but they had to look after themselves and that they had to they on the mountain they were fed but when we were off the mountain and doing the cycle they had to feed themselves and they were giving them a but they they had a budget so they worked hard for that one Mm. and at times they were yeah eating rice watching us eating lots of food (laughs) (laughs) Money. And then they realized that they could actually swap. Why don't they swap with other little groups that have extra food? So it was a, a real learning curve for them, but great respect for them. I mean, I, I get really, I'm quite passionate about young people getting out there and, and pushing themselves. And I think we do them a great injustice telling them they can't do all this stuff. They have to wait and, and all the rest of it. I mean, like climbing Killian on summit night, one of the girls she got a little bit unwell and the other kids were very worried about her and we had a look at her and the doctor was happy for her to continue on the locals wanted to give her oxygen 
And I had a bit of a gut feeling that we were, she was just going a little bit too fast. She was up the front um, and she was just pushing it for her mm. ability. So we decided that the doctor would keep a close eye on her and we would just go a little bit slower. And then she recovered. But afterwards, chatting to her and she got to the summit, which is amazing. She has no recollection of that little period of time when she wasn't very well. Wow. And I said, do you remember? Because she was leaning against me and she says, no, I have no recollection. All I could think of was I wasn't taking that oxygen because I knew the first breath of oxygen and Louise would send me off the mountain. And I wasn't doing that. I wanted to get to the summit. So it's just like the determination and drive. Yeah. Those conditions. And I mean, it was tough for them. There had been a lot of snow on the mountain. So um, it was particularly tough. There was a lot of snow. I think I was on, I was actually on the mountain a couple of weeks after you with another school group, and yeah, yeah there was loads of snow, man. It was yeah, it, it was full it was, on. It was tougher than than normal for them on on summit night, but just like they grew so much, mm. and we were on the bus for what was meant to be a six hour journey, and it turned into nearly a twenty hour journey, and there wasn't one complaint. They just came to me and said, "What are we going to do for food?" And I was like, "Well, what would you like to do?" And we'd like to stop at a shop and buy sandwiches and see what we can get. And when you're talking about a shop, it's just driving through a really rural village and trying to find some sort of a, a little shop. Mm. And uh, yeah, they fed themselves, they fed us, they fed the drivers, they fed the local team. And this is a group of people, this is near the end of the trip. And at the beginning, I remember sitting down with them and they couldn't understand why they had no money for food. And I said, but you're eating out all the time. <laughs> yeah, but where else do we get food? And I was like, well, where do you get food at home from the fridge? And where does that come from? supermarket Hmm. so they had to sit down and and they didn't know how to bulk buy or we had to tell them like if you want four sandwiches a day how many slices of bread you need how many slices of cheese what you want to do so they came from that to completely being able to look after themselves at the end and and telling us what they would like to do and a new appreciation for their for their mom's cooking back home as well no doubt new appreciation exactly but i mean yeah go ahead sorry yeah, no, but I mean, at times, like we were cycling across the National Park and downhill, so we were all kind of freewheeling a little bit and no tracks. One tiny little single track somewhere in this, you know, the plains, African plains, and literally 100 meters away from us, there was a, like there was zebras, there was a wildebeest. They were all just running along beside us as we were cycling along. Amazing. I was like, kids, this is a once in a lifetime. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, like I know um they had some tough times on that school expedition away for a month, like but like when I was growing up I'm from Ross Gray, like went to the local tech, like school tours we had were like I mean, we went to Bunradi Castle one year, another year we went to the Tala Shopping Centre, which if anyone doesn't know that is, it's basically a huge um shopping mall and the the edge of Dublin. These guys are spending a month in Africa. I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like, And Lou, that kind of brings me on to your business, Branch House. Sorry, can I just say one thing yeah, there? Is that when I say it to people, they go, instantly they go, oh, rich kids. They just get funded. Yeah, they, they definitely are wealthy enough children. However, I think on my, what did I have, 12 or 15, there, there was only one youngster whose parents paid for it the rest of them went out for two years prior to this and fundraised and got jobs one little fellow was a well not a little fellow actually he's quite a tall young man Mm. he was a au pair a nanny for one summer so they actually they worked they worked really hard to get all this money together so anyone can do it yeah that's totally true that's that's amazing i forgot about that aspect of the trip yeah. i remember um one of the teachers telling me there was one of the kids who's he grew up near the aviva stadium and what he was doing was he was talking to all the neighbors on the road right to get them to move their cars out to the free parking on the road and then yeah. he was allowing people to park in everyone's drive and charging them for parking like isn't that amazing like this entrepreneurial entrepreneurship yeah that's yeah it's amazing like what a, how like so inventive and smart like it's great to get that critical thinking going in, in young people yeah it's, it's pretty it's pretty special so that kind yeah. of brings us on to your business Lou branch out tell me about that branch out is an education company that myself and my colleague Emma have set up and um as I said before we're very passionate about kids teenagers being self-sufficient 
what we do is the geography river study investigation. So it's great because it's getting them out of the four walls and we're trying to make them think themselves and problem solve and uh, work it out, not spoon feed, feed them the whole way. It's not teacher's fault. It's not kids' faults. They're, they're just fed a syllabus that they mm. have to regurgitate. And I know a lot of teachers out there are really trying to get away from that. But we're very fortunate in that we have the ability to take people outside. Yeah. So we have the experience, the qualifications. We're just basically educating educating outdoors simple things getting them into the forest building shelters sitting around fires getting back to reconnect with nature and instead of one of our policies is that instead of being dictated to about um, respecting our environment and understanding the world and where our food comes from and really reconnecting is that we actually just enable them to have an amazing time outside and then by that very nature that that they they really enjoy it and then they want to protect themselves. So it's rather than someone telling them this is what you should do, they get out, experience it and go, you know, what? I really want this place to be kept this way. I, I really want to eat good food. I really want to sit around a campfire and chat with my friends. It doesn't matter if I'm dirty or I have no makeup on or whatever. So it's yeah, it's a real experience for them. How long do you take people out for? Like, is it for a full day or? Depends on the school and and how much time they have. Amazing. So a lot of time, unfortunately, they're dictated by by buses and and school hours. But even getting out for like they might come to us for at half nine and they're gone by three. But it's it's a good time for them and uh, it's almost enough for a lot of them at first. Yeah. <laughs> And then work from there. But we used to do the field studies. We'd bring them into the classroom for a little while. So it's part of their leaving cert. It's 20% of their, their final leaving cert. So they have to write a report on on the river. They get loads of different choices, but we do the river one. Mm. And we bring them into the classroom and we prepare for it and we go out to the river. But with COVID, we're not allowed in the classroom. So we've we've got loads of tarps and they come straight to the tarps. There are bathrooms because that's a bit much for them. Yeah. All outside and nowhere to go to the loo. And um, we're now not going to go back inside again. It works really well. that They just come outside, they do it all and the kids are loving it. Deadly. So it's a to- total step away from anything to do with the classroom. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's a nice positive change that's going to stick after we we when we come through the pandemic. You're just going to stay doing that. It's great. More out amount more outdoor time. So I'll, I'll yeah. include a link in the show notes, guys, to branch out if anyone wants to get in touch with Lou, teachers or parents, um, or students interested in learning a bit more about that. Lou, tell me what's been your biggest like oh shit moment on on an expedition. There's always oh shit moments. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we try and reduce them as much as possible <laughs> but um I did as I said I love spending time in the Alps love snow one of our my greatest fears I think for most people playing in the snow is is avalanche mm, it's um, absolutely the, the more you learn the more terrifying it is <laughs> you realize the more that you can never know enough but having lived out in the Alps for 15 winters you do you certainly get to, to read the mountains and you know that certain weather conditions that come in will affect the mountains in certain ways. And then you know a lot of the, the local locals, which can give you a lot of information, etc. And you, you learn a lot. But, but I think being in the mountains in these situations, there's there's a lot of gut feeling as well, which you should always listen to. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, one day we were out and we were a little, not too much off the beaten track, but a little bit. We were on snowboards. And we have we have all the gear that you're meant to have to look after yourself. But as we started to walk across to this face, I knew the snow wasn't right. We started to walk and I had this feeling going, you know, this is not good. This is I'm not happy being here. So I said it to my teammates and I went, I'm, I'm, it's, it's not good. I, I just... No, it's not good. And so we made a decision to to go and be super careful. Yeah. And one of my friends, he went first and then got to the bottom of the face. And the next minute, there's an almighty crack and your blood runs cold. And the face just fell away from me. And it was about 20 meters away from where I was standing. Wow. Boom, gone. Now, luckily, he was... 
he was able to hold it together enough and he was able to to get out of the way because the whole thing landed where he had stopped. So it was, yeah, that was a pretty oh shit moment. Yeah, for sure it was. But learned a lot and um, became a stronger person. I was quite young and and realized that actually, do you know what? You need to listen to your gut feeling. So now we have a little pact with our, our team that, that move around the mountains that if any one of us has a feeling of mm, not so sure, we, we move away. Yeah. Move away. Live to fight another day and all that. Yeah, no, for sure. Because... Do you know what? Like when you're when you when you ignore that good feeling and you you continue on or whatever situation on a mountain or a river and snow or whatever it is, like you often don't enjoy it from that point on. You know, you're just too on edge. Like a little bit of fear is always great and like keeps you on edge. But like when you're kind of got this sinking feeling, yeah, it's always good to call it. You know, very different from that apprehension. You know, it's that like oh yeah, not happy. Yeah, absolutely. What about Earth's Edge, Lou? What's, what was your toughest moment on, on a trip with us? Again, there's been a, a few. To, to be honest, when I'm out in the, in the adventure environment is where I feel the most comfortable. Mm. Uh, when you, you do have moments for sure. I find the most stressful time is the traveling to and from airports, buses, logistics. There's too many other elements to deal with there. But when you're on the mountain or wherever you are, yeah, we had a, a landslide one day on the, the other side of the river. We were a beautiful campsite, beautiful campsite. It was in the Indian Himalayas, little plateau above the river, um, quite a nice river, big steep side on the far side. So we were on, on the good side and it had rained all night. I mean, really rained all night. And that morning we were, I was sitting with the, the local team and we were chatting, looking at the weather forecast and saying that the rain's meant to clear at lunchtime. So maybe we'll stall it and camp until lunch and then head out and do a shorter day. And then the next minute there's this almighty crack. And instantly I think again, (laughs) (laughs) and then I went, Oh no, there's no snow. And this is all happening really quickly. And the two of us run out of the, the mess tent and the whole side of the other side of the river had gone. Big landslide. Boom. Yeah. Wow. And uh, you're sitting like, oh, I'm glad we're on this side, obviously. But it, it makes like, oh, I think, no, we need to get out of here now. It's all a bit unstable. But that was that was an interesting moment. There's another client who stepped off the edge of the track taking a picture. They say on the same trip? A different trip. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, but luckily the person beside him grabbed him. So that was... And we had spoken about this, but uh, obviously sometimes looking through the lens of your camera can be pretty exciting. So you forget about where your feet are sometimes. So, uh, yeah, there's always there's always little moments people maybe get unwell, but we have our brilliant medics with us and our great med kit. So that takes that stress away a little bit, eases it. So that's fantastic. Have you have you noticed any changes over the years working for Earth's Edge, like in the way we do stuff? Have you seen like from your first trip now you've done like over 25 to 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 now to the next one like well the ones you're doing in 2019 seen much changes in how we do so how we work definitely earth's edge has evolved that's not to say that they weren't all over the place at the beginning but obviously with everything things improve and it's it's an amazing company to work for because you know that you have 24 7 support so that's fantastic that we have a link back to Ireland. Um, and that when you're out there, not that you're on your own, you have your local team, which are very supportive as well, but you are responsible for the local team and the clients, et cetera, participants. So it's good to know that you have that team with you. And yeah, there's definitely been, as we work with local teams as well, they've evolved. So it's it's um, it's an amazing it's amazing to work. You don't feel so vulnerable and procedures have changed and been upgraded. So I think it's a very slick machine as much as you can be with adventure travel because mm. there's always the unknown when you're traveling adventure. Yeah, there's always going to be those little variables and things don't always go to plan. But yeah, you manage that as best you can. Cool. Well, it's been great having you, Louise. Thanks so much for, for leading all the trips. You've been absolutely awesome. I know you're one of our most popular guides which brings me along to my next question. Tell me about some of the characters you've met along the way. <laughs> they have been. There's been a few. <laughs> and everyone, everyone brings something 
bring something to the trip. It's it's fantastic. I mean, there's there's strong characters and they can really make difference to the the tempo and very rarely in a negative way. I think in nearly 28 trips, I've only had one negative really trip where it's been hard work where the team hasn't gelled and yeah, it's been a little yeah. bit awkward. It's pretty, um, pretty unusual, isn't it? It's very unusual, very unusual. It was it was a very stressful trip, but it's it's very unusual. The um, but you definitely, I mean, there's people who have talents that they they sing, they're they're funny, they're um, and they always they always bring something to it. But it's hard to pick out one particular person because the the stories that everyone have are are amazing. Their reasons for being there. The type of people I really, to be honest, I'm really struggling with that this year. Not getting away with trips, yeah. And I and I know I've been a bit of an antichrist this year for sure. And for the people who are close to me, they've been very good to put up with me. <laughs> I do miss that interaction and meeting incredible people who have put themselves out there for the trips, whether they're quiet, whether they're out there. And same with the the doctors that come on our trips as well. They're great support, and there's been some truly great characters. To be honest, I've been to, like having moments this year, and I'm definitely missing being on trips. Like it's kind of it's just been a full on year for everyone. But I can't wait to get back and doing trips. But um, you talking about big characters, like it is kind of hard to pinpoint one person. But I think the key thing is the environment, you know, because you're in that wilderness space. Everybody's disconnected from their phones. And you just have a lot more time for people to sit down and have the chats. It's great, isn't it? Like you, you form bonds. Like mates with a lot of people I went on an expedition with, still in touch with them because you just spend so much quality time in such a short period, like of a couple of weeks. You know, whereas like oh, okay, yeah. some of your your best mates or old friends that you've known for years, like you know, when people are busy with family or work, you just don't see them as often. So it's it's a really amazing kind of thing to do together to share with people, isn't it? It is, and it's. Um, I was talking to a, a therapist about this one day. A very interesting man that I met. And he was changing the way he he works with patients. But apparently, the when you walk, you know, you're you're not looking directly at somebody. You're either looking at your feet most of the time, or you're looking at the views. So when you're walking, you say more than you would normally because it's easy it's easy to talk to somebody people have told me things and I'm like I'm not sure you should have been telling me that but they just it's all just come out of them and also they were saying that the movement just walking your hands swinging everything does trigger something in your brain that releases a lot of emotion and it's almost a therapy as well you get some great stories when you're walking. Okay, so you're saying the fact the fact that you're not actually looking at each other face to face. God, you're so Irish, aren't you? Like, you know, not looking at someone in the eye, like head down or whatever. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Be proud of it. Yeah. But, I mean, like all the endorphins you're getting day after day from exercising all day must really kind of help people open up as well a little bit. It's, yeah. Yeah. Obviously, if you want to come on an Earth's Edge expedition, guys, and don't talk about your feelings, that's totally cool as well. You know, it's not. A- <laughs> <laughs> stories stories we want stories yeah good good we want good cracking stories yeah it's mad and lou come here so if you were giving someone advice you'd never been on a big trip before looking for something to do in 2021 want something different they see this sea trip to like every space camp they're not sure what what would your advice be and what would your top tips for someone coming on one of these trips be for first time my advice is do it sign up go for it absolutely Everest space camp great trip it's it's uh i think we're 13 days on the trail mm. so that's a real disconnect from everything it's, it's amazing and again love the nepalese people waking up in the mornings big mountains all around you i mean it's it's such a cultural trip as well it's fantastic the other thing is i wouldn't be frightened and think that you have to be a, a superman or superwoman just a nice good level of fitness it's more endurance, to be honest. So it's the fact that you're getting up every day and walking. So it's a, yeah, it's a good level of fitness, but a bit of endurance there. And it's slow and plotty, so don't be put off by that. It's, it's And we have rest days, so it's fantastic. The top tip is uh, what you bring and how you pack it. 
So it's um it's it's basically a counting game. I mean, people want to bring snacks maybe, and when we're checking gear beforehand, you pick up the snack bag and it is a sack full of snacks. And you're thinking, we're only out there for 13 days. If you want to borrow a day, that's only 13 bars or seven bars if you're on Killy or whatever it is. Or, you know, the wet wipes, people coming along with four packets of wet wipes. And you're like, well, how many wet wipes do you get in a packet? And they're like 200. I'm like, okay, that's, that's a that's lot, a of, lot of wet wipes. <laughs> so it's it's really being efficient about what what you bring and then how you pack it. So for me, packing my, my kit bag is really important because you're packing and repacking every day. So having that organized and you're sharing a room with someone. So if every evening your bag vomits gear all over the room in an organized manner, it's irritating for you, but it's extremely irritating for the person that you're sharing with. So it's, it's um, spending a good amount of time on organizing that kit bag, making yeah. sure you only have the bare essentials and Having it, yeah, I have it now. Like, you mean obviously you have your little dry bags, but especially on, on Killy or even um, Everest Base Camp, you know, you come in in the evenings and you might feel a little bit tired and you just want to be warm and cozy. And I know that I have one bag that has my sleeping bag, my sleeping thermals, maybe a little treat, and my book and my torch. So that if I'm feeling a bit miserable, I just pick out that one bag, get changed, get into my bag, have a little downtime, get warm and cozy, and then the world is a much nicer place. The kit list that Earth's Edge give you, if you that's what I check. If I have everything on that list, I know I'm I'm okay. But I do people to say to people, bear in mind it was a bloke who made the list. So I do bring a bit more underwear and socks. Yeah, <laughs> 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 whatever louise whatever yeah <laughs> so louise thanks so much for coming on the podcast and thanks for all leading so many trips and being absolutely awesome here's to another 25 and when we get back to it hopefully sooner rather than later thank you very much really enjoyed talking to you <laughs> <laughs> all right all the best Lib. this podcast was produced by earth's edge we're a small business based in Ireland who organize big adventures all over the world. For more information about us and the trips discussed on this podcast, visit earths-edge.com or follow us on Instagram. Don't forget to sign up to our mailing list to be in the running to win one of our summit jackets. There's a link in the show notes. And while you're there, if you could subscribe and review the podcast, that'd be brilliant. I'm your host, James McManus. Thanks for listening and have a super week.